And with that, welcome to another edition of Team Turnbuckle, IB Sports Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Keith Fleming, and with me, as always, is Ron L. Tinsley. Ron L., how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Keith. How's it going? Things are good, man. Uh, we discussed this last week on the podcast. Moving forward, we're going to try to do two podcasts a week starting this next week. So you will notice that we're going to discuss Raw, uh, AEW, and NXT. We will not discuss SmackDown. We will do that with the podcast later in the week and include the following Raw. Uh, We thought that it made sense to break up SmackDown and Raw and then AEW and NXT. Obviously, any wrestling news just in general that breaks in between that, uh, we will discuss as well. Before we get started, I want to announce that the IB Sports podcast feed is, as you know, on uh, Apple, but it is also now on Spotify. We ask you on both of those, whichever your listening pleasure is, to please uh, follow, uh, rate, and review. Please, five stars, leave comments. That helps get us new listeners. So we're going to start, as we have the last couple of weeks, just going through a few things going on in the Wrestling World News, Triple H came out, I guess it was early in the week, and said something that I've been pushing for before this WrestleMania even happened. Uh, They ended up going to the two-night deal. Most people thought that was strictly because of the situation going on with the coronavirus. But he said basically exactly what I've been saying, that he hopes that they continue to do a two-night WrestleMania moving forward. And the main reason is that it's it's kind of a slog. I mean, it was seven hours last year. I thought that it really hurt the Becky, Charlotte, uh, and Ronda main event. Do you think, Ronnell, that Triple H is on to something? I mean, he basically said if this is his decision, this is what they're going to do. Do you think Vince will listen going into next year and Mania is moving forward? Uh, honestly, I think it makes the most sense. I mean, we had discussed it um, during the lead-up to Mania, but before uh, COVID kind of take, took over everything, that, uh, you know, WrestleMania is a long show to, to deal through. And in as much as we as wrestling fans will do it, and especially those who pay to be in the arena, I mean, God bless you, to be able to take a show so long. But, yeah, I, I honestly think it makes the most sense. Um, totally agree with, uh, you know, that first ever women's main event for a mania. And it was a fantastic match to boot, but, you know, how many people were able to uh, sit through all that? I know when I first watched it, I had came home from work that night, so I had fast-forwarded through three-quarters of WrestleMania and just kind of caught the highlights and finished the rest of the morning after. It's, I mean, it just puts them in such a bad position because I've complained about this in basketball, the World Series, like the playoffs in the NBA. I mean, the Super Bowl at least starts fairly early. It still runs pretty late, but how are you going to grow your audience when you know kids are the future of that audience? you got to get younger people involved, and most parents are going to tell their kids to go to bed. And I've just always found it interesting that their marquee event, you know, they're going to basically face parents to either make their kid go to bed before the event's over 
or stay up to, I mean, I think it was like one in the morning Eastern uh, Standard Time when the Ronda match started last year. So, again, it just, to me, it seems like a no-brainer. I really hope that Vince listens, and it sounds like Triple H was sending a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a feeler, if you will, where he knows it's technically not his decision, but he wants it to get out there to Vince that this is the way we should be doing this moving forward. Yeah, uh, and, you know, I hope for once that Vince actually does listen to uh, outside perspective and really, you know, considering how, how well Hunter has uh, done for uh, being in, in in an executive position, would be... Um, so being, I'm sorry, of already tri- being in a... No, go ahead. Go right ahead. No, you're good. I was just going to say, speaking of Triple H, he celebrated 25 years of the WWE. We will discuss the segment on SmackDown on the episode next week when we do both SmackDown and Raw. But, I mean, it's been quite a 25 years for the man named Triple H, uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Uh, was really a tool, and I'm talking about the wrestling character when he first came to WWE 25 years ago. You know, a lot of people obviously remember that he was punished uh, above all other wrestlers for the event in Madison Square Garden, where basically they broke Kayaf, where it was Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Nash, and Diesel. This was when uh, Nash and Diesel were, were leaving, or excuse me, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were leaving the WWE to go to WCW. They did the curtain call. Uh, and I thought, I mean, it's an amazing 25 years. So real quickly, let's just go over some things for Triple H. What is your favorite Triple H moment of his 25 years in WWE? Uh, I was thinking over that, and I, I have a, a lot of them. Uh, you know, admittedly, during his uh, earliest run as he was approaching his prime, I was kind of uh, out of the loop, but Every time I would peek in, I would love seeing him and The Rock. Him and The Rock could go out. It's like him and the big guys of his time. It's like I would say during that time, uh, you know, post-Attitude Era, uh, we're looking at Cena, Hunter, Rock, Austin. And the way that he could interchange through all that was just so amazing. But I think for me, leading evolution uh, it's just so much that, you know, taking the young talent of, uh, you know, Randy Orton being a second-gen wrestler, uh, creating the monster in Batista, and then, you know, bringing in good old Rick. Rick got to be in another faction, which is something he was already um, familiar with, but with Hunter leading – being the Ric Flair, uh, you know, the leader of the of the band. So I can't really say I could pinpoint one specific one. I always loved his mania entrances, though. Like the one that he did when he came in on the on the motorcycle, he had Step on the back, you know, the, the hardcore attire, Lenny playing it live. That's probably my favorite Triple H moment. I know you're probably going to think this is kind of a cheat, uh, because I went through several different moments. I, I thought about his ladder match with The Rock at SummerSlam, which was really just a 
almost a catapult for both of them as becoming WWE superstars. They both raised each other up. I love the evolution work, obviously the original DX run with Sean, but I think it's NXT and getting it to where it is now. Uh, And hopefully, because so many wrestling fans, and I'm talking about like, yes, if you want to call them internet fans, whatever, just love the product and it's booked so well and it's ran well and they're building stars and the storylines. And I hope that not only, you know, is NXT his legacy and in a lot of ways kind of the high mark of his career getting that started, but also that that bleeds into the Raw and SmackDown products as we all can assume he's going to eventually take over the WWE. At least it appears like him and Stephanie will be running it moving forward. Uh, I saw this question for the second one on Triple H on Twitter what was it, your favorite Triple H rivalry over the years? I honestly can't really say I have one. Um, honestly, I think one of my favorite runs for Triple H was when Austin went heel and they had wound up winning the tag titles right before amazingly tearing his quad during said, uh, the match where they lost the titles. And yet finishing that match. But I, I think that just that whole run, it's not that they were necessarily uh, um, being in a rivalry with anyone. It's just they were just kind of running ruckshot through WWE. You know, Austin was even using his sledgehammer, and they just kind of had this weird psychopathic stare at each other every time they did something, you know, a little over the top. So I would probably think that that was one of my favorite runs with him because that was just something a little uh, different than most of what he saw. And not to take away from the rest of his career because, of course, you know, ever since he had hit it big, he was absolutely amazing. And, you know, one of the underrated matches that we all have time right now, you should go check out between Stone Cold and Triple H. And this was actually just before they teamed up. Uh, was there three stages of hell match uh, for the title, which is, is seriously one of the better matches uh, you know I saw in that time, both in the sense of the story and the wrestling. It was just great. You had the best face in the business and the best heel in the business at that time going head to head. When I saw this, there was there was basically three that I thought of. Obviously, the Triple H Sean um, when Sean came back. And, you know, Triple H had been such a great heel for so long. And then it looked like they were both going to, you know, be faced. And then, of course, Triple H turned on him. And it just led to one of the better storylines ever. It, it was it led to Sean's return match at SummerSlam that year and him having, like, another seven-year run with the WWE. Not to mention it led to Sean winning, uh, you know, his first title in years uh, in a multi-man match, an elimination chamber match with Triple H in it as well. So that's up there. Obviously, I talked about The Rock. Uh, they, they, they just, it was kind of crazy how both of them are the two biggest stars really in the business, if you think about it, because Triple H, because of it, both of his career and in the power from his position, uh, you know, being married to Stephanie and obviously the trust that Vince has in him. And The Rock, again, because of his career and the fact that he became to be the biggest movie star in the world. And these were two guys that their first characters were hated. I mean, hated by WWE fans. Hated them. 
and they both worked so hard and just, you know, would not basically allow that be their destiny, and they turned in these stars, which is really cool. And it's cool how, like I said, their, their time together, they constantly kind of kept coming together, first for the IC title, then the world title. But at the end of the day, I don't think you can say that his biggest rivalry is anything other than him and The Undertaker. I mean, they fought at three WrestleManias. That would be like saying, okay, who is Stone Cold's greatest rival and giving any answer other than The Rock? I mean, they, they, they fought at three WrestleManias. I mean, that's, that's pretty much all you need to know. I mean, for a rivalry to span the time from their first one, which I believe was 17, and then to go all the way to, I think it was 28 or 27 was the, the second of the back-to-back uh, manias. I mean, that, that's all you need to know about two guys is they wow. kept relevant and the fans kept clamoring for it for that long of a period. So this last question I've been thinking about a lot this week. I'm sure I gave it away with my favorite Triple H moment, but what do you think is more impressive, his wrestling career or what he has done in the front office since Mary and Stephanie and moving up the chain of command with some of the changes and stuff that he's implemented in WWE. Wow. That, this, you know, when you sent that over to me, I was like, you know, that's a lot tougher than it looks on paper because, you know, of course you can talk, we, you know, you just talked about a couple of his title wins and of course, you know, he's what a 14 time champion, I believe. Something somewhere at least like somewhere that. in that ballpark somewhere in that ballpark. So, I mean, obviously tons of accolades, but, and I, I think just because we still have so much more time for his influence and reach to grow as an executive, that's the only reason I slightly gave the nod to his in-ring career and to the fact that, you know, he keeps himself ready just in case, hey, a story comes up that can work and I can get back in the ring, you know, just like he did with Batista at last year's Mania and put on a fantastic show. So I'm, I'm going to just slightly give the nod to his in-ring career. You kind of just changed my mind on the fly there because I started thinking about it, and I still think at the end of the day his basically front office or running the company – is going to be the more impressive to his, you know, resume. But, you know, we give Chris Jericho credit every week on this podcast for how fantastic he is at his age, the level of his promos, just knowing his character, his work in the ring. Triple H is the same thing on the other side. I mean, this is a guy that is, I think, 50 years old. He's in incredible shape. Who did they, you know, use to get Daniel Bryan over the top? Triple H. They still, who did they use at first to get Seth Rollins over the top? Triple H. Roman Reigns, Triple H. They keep coming back to this guy. And like with Jericho, it's hard to argue he's not better in the ring now than he was in like the peak of his physical prowess in the late 90s, early 2000s, because he just knows what he's doing. He has so much experience. And then when you add in the fact that this guy's also running the company, a lot of the day-to-day while doing that, you have to tip your cat to the career. And I'm with you that it would almost be disrespectful to say five, ten years in that his front office career is better than what he's done in a wrestling ring. 
you know, I totally agree. I was you know, thinking, and I'm glad you gave me a chance to put this in, that we're, if we're talking another five years from now and we're having this discussion, it, the needle is definitely going to be on the executive side because, you know, just like you said, all of the in-ring uh, or just being slightly on the outside of the ring with a foot in the ring, being the, you know, stepping into the authority figure, uh, along with the, the McMahon family, yeah, it's going to be hard to argue. Like, we always talk about our Mount Rushmores. If there was a second-tier Mount Rushmore, which is which kind of sounds stupid, I get it, but he, he's going to be right there next to Dusty Rhodes. He's a no-brainer. I mean, he's, he's one of the all-time greats, and a lot of people, and this is why I tell you know, great heels, and he is one, they almost, you know, get to a point where some people just naturally hate them because of how good they were at a heel for so many years. I mean, I know when you hear his pops, when, you know, his music goes off, it's as loud as anybody in WWE, but I still think there's a section that have, you know, the the shovel and all that stuff when it's like Triple H has put over more guys, especially in the last five, six years, than just about any guy with, you know, his kind of name recognition and the weight that he brings. The last thing we're going to right. discuss that's in the news before – or do you have one more thing you want to say? No. I was just basically nodding in agreement, Dave. <laughs> All right. Uh, and this is really interesting to me. A report has came out that Roman Reigns is now basically the he who must not be named in the WWE. They have decided because he is basically taking the sabbatical – and, you know, obviously it's for his health. I mean, he's recovered from leukemia twice. I, I don't understand how anybody could think he's making the wrong move here. That Vince McMahon is adamant they don't mention him on TV, anything. Does this make any sense to you when he is, I guess you would say, the biggest guy in the company, at least I know in their eyes? Quite honestly, it really doesn't. It would really, honestly behoove them to play on that, play on the very real thing. You, know, you already brought his life into the ring when he both announced um, the leukemia coming back and then being in remission. So everyone's well aware of um, him having a compromised immunity. You guys don't necessarily talk about the virus, but it's quite obvious on every show that, you know, the situation is affecting you all as well. So why not do that so that, you know, keep sending your well wishes, you know, stay safe, brother, or whatever it is that you have to do. I think it would make more sense and get more of his, you know, the fans who already love him, who are already so indebted and tied into his story, that they would love just knowing that, the company is talking about him and still cares and asking them, hey, send some prayers out for Roman. I, I don't understand. I'll be the first to admit, I'm, I'm a big fan of Roman Reigns. Uh, I think he is great in the ring. He's improved, like, leaps and bounds on the mic. I feel like a lot of times his worst interviews or promos are just so scripted that there's just not much he can do there, and they've really struggled not allowing him be himself because when you see him as in interviews as Joe instead of Roman Reigns, 
he's cool as hell. Like he really is. He he's not trying to be like cheese or corny. He just he's a guy that obviously has got a lot of swagger who has gotten to the point, you know, that he has in life and, you know, what he looks at in the mirror every day. And it makes no sense for them not to use this because it it's without a doubt that when he came back and he and he announced leukemia and then he you know, he got over it and went back into remission. The crowd really got behind him, and again, I believe because this was his actual self. This was, you know, the man, not the character, and this, to me, would have been a great chance to use it. And they always want to use the authority against stars. What's a more, like, heelish authority move than to basically say, if you're not going to come in to, you know, work with WWE during this pandemic just because of your health conditions, you're fired. And, you know, we all know when they fire somebody, they're going to find a way back. They're going to come back. And there's your storyline, and you're still talking about it. And he can do promos from home. Or There's just a million ways they can do it. They can move them to Raw during this period, NXT, whatever. But it would give them so many options rather than just basically let's hit pause on them. And then when he comes back, we're not going to mention where he's been for months or what happened. It's it's These are the kind of decisions they make that I just – I'm like, I know they have smart people uh, in WWE because they wouldn't be to the place that they are, but, like, who decided that this was the best idea? And then, sadly, you see in the report, it's Vince, you know, demanding this. So I, I don't know what else to say about that. Nor I, really, because um, to add on to your point just a little further, he stepped away Right as he was in the middle of the title picture, you're going to assume when he returns that he's going to come back into the title picture. But how in the world do you manage that story if his name or likeness can't be used at all? It really is just it's missing me. The point's missing me there. It'll probably be a Teddy Long tag match that he wins, and then next thing you know, he's the number one <laughs> contender for the title or some stupid shit like that. Uh, we're going to move on to Monday Night Raw. Like I said, starting this next week, at least for the time being, we're going to be doing Raw and SmackDown. So on the next episode, we'll go over SmackDown on Friday and Raw on Monday. We'll try to do that on Tuesday, and then we'll do an AEW NXT show around this time of the week, Friday, Saturday each week. But just going through the stuff and all the highlights, Aleister Black qualified for the Money in Bank match. Do you think he is the favorite to win the briefcase? Um, I would say he's got to be in your top or two picks. Um, you and I, over the last few months, have talked about how we wish they would do more with him, and it looks like we're finally starting to get that. Even... Uh, a couple of good matches, matches with Bobby Lashley, which you shouldn't be surprised. Lashley's a great athlete. You're just grossly misusing him right now. Back to Alistair. I'm very happy. I hope he does get a title because he would be the perfect type of guy to be a money in the bank type of dude. You know, the way he kind of is a little on the creepy, edgy side where all of a sudden, you know, the champions out there, no matter who they are, and then you turn around and look, it's like, wait, what is this dude doing at my feet, staring at me, you know, sitting in his pose? Uh, I, I could see it, and I actually hope that they do give him that push like we've been begging for. I'm almost positive he is the favorite. I don't know if you remember, we discussed this on the podcast back before the Rumble, that 
everything had came out. It's been in the dirt sheets that basically Paul Heyman came down to it was going to either be Drew McIntyre or Aleister Black winning the Royal Rumble and going on to face Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Obviously, we know they made the Drew McIntyre decision there. So we know that Aleister Black is in that you know, mindset, at least with Paul Heyman, who is running the show that he's on. The only thing that gives me hesitation about this is that typically most years, since they've gone to the two brands, they do not give the Rumble and the Money in the Bank to the same show. And I actually kind of understand the booking from this sense to where they're trying to make sure it's not one show is better than the other, has the guys that win big events. But, I mean, if we're being honest, it just needs to be the character that either needs to win the most or can do the most with, you know, winning the Rumble, winning money in the bank. And we can just talk about this real quickly. I actually have heard that Daniel Bryan is apparently the heavy favorite to win the briefcase. And I'm confused about that because he's just turned face. Does it really make sense to have a Daniel Bryan face as the money in the bank, you know, holder? No, absolutely not, especially uh, even no matter who it is, if it's uh, Braun or Bray holding the strap. Yeah, Bray is technically a heel, but like we've said, uh, a very overheel. So, you know, would they try to revisit that again? I, I can't really see it. Plus, we still have the Drew Gulag uh, thing to mix in there. You know, what are they doing with that story? So I, I can't really see a Daniel Bryan money in the bank winner right now so next uh and this is going to be our hill heat of the week and i mean actually i guess we should say real hill heat nia jacks almost killed curry sane uh in their match on monday night raw for those that were not watching it looks like she was doing a bottom turnbuckle, like buck, uh, what do they call it, buckle bomb or buckle buster uh-huh. that Seth Rollins does, buckle where they bomb, pick yeah, the guy up in the power bomb them and throw him into. And I swear, because I text you right after this happened, that can you not hear Carrie Sane saying, I think I'm not set, uh, as she's I'm not putting set. her up, and then she just throws her terribly uh, into the turnbuckle. And I was really worried about Carrie, obviously. We think back to the tag match uh, from, I believe it was uh, Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, where she got, like, one of the worst concussions I've ever seen in a wrestling ring in the Mm. match with Charlotte and Becky. Uh, At this point, and I hate saying this about, you know, any performer, but, like, is Nia Jax just a, like, basically walking emergency room at this point? Yeah, it is. Um, And it's Pretty bad, considering we were just talking about the whole Ronda thing and the heat that she, the the, the heat that she was under, and Nia being one of the champions and um, you know coming to the defense of the WWE, and it's like, well, you're not really the one to say so. But it's like, okay, I'll leave you alone right now. You're just coming back, and no less than a week later, you pull this. Like, come on, Naya, you're, you're not helping your cause. You know, we spoke about the, the busted nose and the other things that 
led up to it. Like, you're too big with women to be – I don't like to say it, but we need you to focus. I don't want to call you unsafe. We need you to focus at all times in there and make sure that you're, you know, you're hitting your spot because you're really going to hurt her. I mean, Kyrie not only hit the back of her head but landed hard on her tailbone. Like, she's really going to hurt her. We've seen this in so many matches with her, and I think it's always been kind of lost. She, she basically broke Becky Lynch's face in the middle of one of the biggest pushes, male or women, like – in probably the last decade, and right before the biggest match of both Becky Lynch's career and, at that point, Ronda Rousey's. Now, she kind of got a pass because it worked out, and it only made the story mm. better. Like, it truly did. It worked out. I mean, they couldn't, WWE couldn't have wrote that any better, but it was still a colossal mess up. And, I mean, if you watch the video, she just clocked Becky. I mean, I don't understand. It didn't look like she – hesitated at all. I mean, it looked like she literally wanted to punch Becky Lynch as hard as she could in the face, and it. I hope that is not what Carrie Sane was saying as she was up on her shoulders as I'm not set, because that's even more disappointing and depressing when basically you, you know, you have to have a level of trust with the person you're in the ring with, and when they're telling you, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, and you just throw them as hard as you can down anyway, like you're going to like literally paralyze somebody one day if you don't watch out. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I must've watched that video uh, that was shared in, uh, cause it was shared in the IBS group. I'm going through, cause I always love on anything controversial going into the comments section. Cause that's usually where the gold is really found. Right. And you know how the and you know how the video will continue to play if you don't stop it. And I'm just hearing it over and over. I'm not set. I'm not set. And it's like Kyrie does not speak great English, but you heard that. And it was like and then going right back to the video after scrolling the comment section, I was like, Jesus. Like I, I just hope it's not another concussion right now. Yeah, the fear was was scary, too. You could hear fear in her voice uh, as she was saying it. So hopefully uh, they get this figured out because Nia, I've said it for a couple of years, she could be very, very important to the women's division because she's just such a massive once-in-a-lifetime, like, you know, person. I mean, there's, there's nobody like Nia Jax in the women's division, and there never has been, not that size. I mean, even Kong was not that big. And, I mean, she just, if, if she can get it together, she she could really be a very vital part of the WWE women's division. Uh, I, I wanted to get your opinion on this. Starting, at least this was the first time I noticed it, we have Ricochet and Cedric Alexander as a new tag team. They're even sporting matching uh, outfits. That knows, that, that's when you know WWE is serious about it because they spent money to actually get them a matching wardrobe and took the time for it. Are you on board for this tag team? I am up in the air because on one hand, it's like, yeah, they're both high flyers. They're both, you know, great stars from the, the cruiserweight division. But at the same time, it kind of reminds me of uh, an interview that I had heard that Mark, not Mark Henry, I'm sorry, um, Joe Black of uh, Southern Honor Wrestling. Uh, he was an independent guy. 
and he had brought up about how a lot of wrestling companies, especially back in the day, would only have like, so many black wrestlers in, in each territory. And if you had multiple, it's either you guys are fighting to keep the spot or you wound up getting forced together as a tag team. And it, it made me, when I heard that story and then I'm looking at the ricochet thing, it made me think back to like Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson, two guys, very similar attributes, but got thrown together. I mean, it worked out. They wound up being tag team champions, but I don't know. I'm back and forth. Excited to see that they're finally doing something with Ricochet, but, you know, the Raw tag team division is kind of deep, so I don't know if we can see a tag title push. So I I guess in the end, I'm just kind of putting it on pause and hoping that there's something brilliant that comes out of it. They work great together, though, right? They're headed in the right direction with this because – they obviously are not using Ricochet. I mean, to be honest, they're not using Cedric Alexander. So if you have nothing else, I'm glad that they're, you know, putting them together and just, you know, kind of throwing stuff against the wall, see, you know, what sticks. But this tag team reminds me too much of Evan Bourne and Kofi Kingston. I believe it was in the early 2010s. And this was before Kofi really filled out. I don't, for those who haven't been watching wrestling a long time, Kofi was pretty small and a lot more of a high flyer when he first debuted on WWE. So the team was just so small. And I always feel like the best tag teams have a bruiser and a high flyer. You know, I I know you got like Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart where, well, that's not really fair, but it's like Bret was the smaller, you know, the technician, and Anvil was the brute. And so if you're going to kind of go in the same direction with somebody as much talent as Ricochet, like, why not put him with, say, a guy like Apollo Cruz, who just qualified for the Money in the Bank match over MVP on this show? Like, to me, that team would make a little bit more sense because you have muscle and then the high flying. And Apollo also is very athletic and do some cool stuff. But mainly, I just think if you're going to put Ricochet in a tag team, you have to put him with a really great talker. I mean, even if it's a heel and it's somebody like Baron Corbin, he needs something to get the attention because if people will watch and care about Ricochet's storylines, he is going to wow you in the ring every single time you get to watch him perform and they let him go. But if he's in these storylines, which I don't really care about Cedric Alexander, so I don't really care about this tag team, this is another thing that I don't think is going to help him get over and it's not going to get Ricochet, where I'm hoping they're going to get him to where, like, if we can get people invested, this guy could have so many great – like, I think about a Ricochet-AJ Styles match or a Ricochet-Daniel Bryan or even Ricochet against some of these bigger guys like Roman Reigns or, I mean, even Seth Rollins. It's like that's what I want to see, but we got to get the character over to get to that point, and I just don't think this is helping. No, no, not at all. And, you know, my first ex- exposure to Ricochet was uh, that Fatal 4 when he was in NXT, when the Dream won uh, North American title. And, you know, this is only maybe two years ago. And, like, I saw, like, Dream, you saw that match. It's like Dream and Ricochet, those are stars. Those two guys, like, the way they flew, the 
couple of the moves that they did like off of the uh, the rope onto a ladder, so something insane. It's just Rick is just too talented to not be being used better. And that's actually, there's where you get to me, Ricochet, over is bring up somebody like Velveteen Dream. Put them in a tag team. At least that way we get Dream in WWE. He can start out. We've talked about ad nauseum on these podcasts. That it's okay for a guy to start in tag team. It's actually an easy way to transition to a singles career because you have a built-in storyline. All you have to do is have one of the two guys turn on the other one. Uh, or if you don't like that, bring up something like Undisputed Era where – and let Ricochet join them because it's like he's already the size of all those guys. I know that that's a concern for him, but at least that way you make him heal. And, again, it just, it just gives us some kind of buzz because it's been so disappointing, the storylines, the way they presented him, when he is honestly the most unique wrestler in the world. There is nobody in the world who can do what Ricochet can in the ring and they don't really get to highlight it because nobody cares. Uh, the last thing that we'll talk about, we talked Apollo Crews qualified for the money in the bank. I guess that's not that big of a surprise. I personally don't really care about Apollo Crews anymore. He's another one that's had plenty of opportunities to get over and hasn't. But what was a surprise was the other guy who qualified for money in the bank. It was Ray Mysterio. He defeated Buddy Murphy like – why are they putting Rey Mysterio over Buddy Murphy in the Money in the Bank match at this point in both of their careers? I have no idea. And a, a couple of things about it. Number one, what, what we just went through, um, we have all faces from the Raw side representing. That's just, honestly, I don't find that smart because then the guys that are coming in to fight each other outside of, you know, the main prize, they're not really going to be malicious towards one another. I honestly thought it would have made a ton more sense, especially with Murphy being the right-hand man of the Messiah. Let's continue to push him. And now that we've got um, Seth and Buddy separated, let's start pushing him harder as a singles wrestler. So, Honestly, Ray doesn't need it. We know Ray's not going to get back into the world title picture. So it literally makes no sense to me. So we did see at the end of this episode that Seth still does power around uh, with Murphy. I'm not really sure what this means for AOP, but they are still disciples of him. And honestly, when this match started, I thought, oh, okay, I see it. Buddy Murphy is going to win this match get into the money in the bank. My hooker crook wins the contract, say he's dedicating it to Seth Rollins, and Seth Rollins can teach him how to be the money in the bank. And, I mean, I can just hear Seth Rollins gloating about not only did I win the money in the bank and not only did I cash in and win the title, I did it on the grandest stage of all because I'm just smarter than everybody. You know what I mean? Just like it's just an easy Mm -hmm. storyline. But instead, you're putting Rey Mysterio, and it's a lot of the same concerns I have with Daniel Bryan. I have no problem with Rey Mysterio still being in WWE. He's still really good in the ring. I don't want to see guys of this age and the injuries and stuff taking, you know, placing basically a car wreck. And that's what this match is. I'm going to cringe every time either one of those guys goes through a ladder or a table or whatever. This is why you have young dudes. Like, this is literally why you have young guys 
is so you can put them in this position because they're hungry. They need the exposure. They need to take those bumps. And if you have Daniel Bryan in the match, you don't need Rey Mysterio. If they didn't have Daniel Bryan, I could understand this putting Mysterio in there just for name recognition. And that's, I guess, ultimately what they're doing because if you look outside of Bryan and Mysterio, and I guess if you want to count Corbin, you got a lot of guys that people are probably not, you know, too jacked about being in the money in the bank, and it's probably a business decision. Yeah, you know, I don't know. You know, we do sometimes question how they're going to put it together. I'm going to trust that they're going to that something amazing is going to happen because this is going to uh, a unique match. The idea of it's starting to grow on me a little bit. I'm kind of feeling that you know they may be able to make a, a decent production out of it. I just, yeah, you know, a couple of the picks just don't really make sense. I, I was actually kind of expecting, um, you know, maybe it's hard to say bigger names because there's really not many bigger names than, you know, Brian and Mysterio. Just you would figure more contenders, guys that you can literally see um, having a chance at taking a world championship. I completely agree, and that that's what makes the great money in the bank is you have no idea who's going to win because a majority – I understand you might have one or two guys for the element of surprise, but a majority of the guys in the match is like, okay, I can see them winning this briefcase and potentially winning the title. And right now I see two guys in the match, Corbin and Brian, and that's it, and Brian doesn't make sense. Uh that's all we got about Raw. We'll move on to AEW. I do want to say real quickly that Raw, actually, I feel like has been pretty good lately. Uh, I definitely felt like it's been stronger than SmackDown the last two weeks. Uh, and I just, boy, Raw right now, they, they don't have a lot of horses, I guess is what you say. But I do have faith in Paul Heyman being the guy to get these younger guys over. So there is that. And like I said, the show's been pretty good. Um, in AEW, the, the focal point of the, the show was the TV title tournament. We're down to the final four now. Uh, Darby Allen defeated Sammy Guerva again. Uh, this was a rematch from their excellent pay-per-view match uh, earlier this year. I thought it was a wonderful callback to start the match with Sammy Guerva basically jumping Darby Allen before the bell, the exact same thing Darby Allen did to Sammy Guerva in their pay-per-view match. I thought that was a great callback. I love when companies do stuff like that. Um, but I was a little surprised that Darby got the victory here because that's two over Sammy. I think they're both kind of equal uh, I guess young superstars, if you want to call them. I've been really impressed with Sammy's work as he's gotten more face time and more time to talk in the inner circle. Are you surprised at all that Darby won, and do you think that's the right decision? Hmm. Surprised, not overly, although, you know, to your point, I, too, am loving everything that Sammy G is doing. He's making himself uh, – he's – doing great work under the tutelage, you know, being in the inner circle or whatever. But the great part about it is they're not making uh, the inner circle like world breakers. So maybe it's just right now they're playing it like we're still creating 
the Spanish God, so to speak, or whatever, even though, you know, he's walking and talking it, he's not quite there. Because I was thinking about that during the uh, tournament. His record, his solo record's really not that fantastic. But yet, he, it's like, he doesn't really necessarily need the wins to uh, love the exposure that he gets for him. So, uh, not overly surprised. Um, the right move, I don't know. Um, like we had said before the tournament started, I could, I was seeing Sammy G as one of my favorites, even though I knew he had a tough draw. Yeah. Um, I, I go back and forth on this. I've told you, I think Darby Allen is going to be like, honestly, a superstar. He's got to get bigger. It's something that a lot of guys go through, uh, you know, when they first kind of get to what I would call the big leagues. He was in just strictly indie wrestling. But he's just – he's got a lot of charisma. Are you – I'm very intrigued to see the Cody Rhodes-Darby Allen semifinal match. Who do you think right now is going to win that? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of leaning towards um I'm kind of leaning towards Darby Allen. I don't I can't really explain it tangibly, even though I know we were talking about um the fact that we feel that Cody still should get a title. Uh, he's just been so great at continuously um getting the these top build talents over and over and over again. So I'm actually going to go with Darby Allen, even though um, my heart is kind of favoring Cody. I mean, I, I could go either way. I think it's going to be Cody Rhodes. I, I think they're setting up him to win this tournament. Uh, he's now number one in the TNT rankings. He is the number one contender the issue being, obviously, he has lost a match to Chris Jericho, and he cannot fight for the title again. I could maybe see a storyline coming where he wins the TV title, goes on this, you know, epic or record-breaking run as TV champ, beating all comers, and eventually somebody like Moxley or Omega or one of those guys, you know, maybe in a face-versus-face confrontation, says they want the best, and I don't care what the stipulation was you can fight me for the title because they're going to eventually get out of that. I just can't believe that they're going to go the entire AEW existence because this looks like something that is going to be on TV and, you know, be in our lives for a while without Cody Rhodes eventually being the world champion. I mean, what a big moment with, you know, who his father is and the significance of it. It just, to me, it's a slam dunk. Um, Kenny Omega returned this week. He is one half of the tag team champions. We know that. This was his first match by uh, back from injury. Chris Jericho and this week. And we're doing it better than anybody else alive. Doing it better than anybody else alive. Once again, he was just a marvel on commentary. I'm going to be so disappointed when we eventually get out of the tape or even live shows. I think they're going to continue having them do commentary until the crowd comes back and we lose Jericho on commentary because he's that good, but he literally in the middle, or uh, I don't know if it was the middle or the beginning, I forget, but he called this a warm-up match, which is, I mean, exactly what it is. I mean, Omega's been gone from injury. They kind of give him some guy nobody knows who the hell they is, and Omega looks great by beating him. 
Do you think that, because I, I talked about this on the podcast a, a few weeks ago, that I think ultimately whether Omega is the guy that beats John Moxley or not, we are going to see a Moxley Omega for the world title, you know, match here in the future because of their, you know, brutal no holds barred match they had on the first AEW pay-per-view. So it's storyline come full circle. And then if he wins the title and saves the tag champ and the world champ, it's just so much easier to write the explosion with him and Hangman Page and, you know, basically eventually making it for the world title and they lose the tag team titles. Do you think, though, that his big storyline moving forward is going to be like, you know, facing the Hardys again or or one of the best teams in the tag team division or more moving in singles towards the world championship? Because they haven't seemed to do these storylines simultaneously. It's been one or the other for pay-per-views with Omega. Yeah, I think that you have any Omega couple of months, one of the top uh, winning form. And the fact that he was, you know, wrestler of the year and all of the accolades that came with it, all of his in JPW just to get over here. And, you know, 2019 wasn't too great for his singles win loss record, um, turning it around this year. But it only would make sense to kind of put that in and everything that you just said, like you can just put all of that in a nice little neat bow and you've got at least half a year of good uh, content just between Moxley page and Omega. And it's building up all three guys. Cause I mean, Omega and Moxley are the two biggest stars other than Jericho and obviously Rhodes in, you know, AEW. So, it's never bad for business when your best guys are going head-to-head. And just having Hangman in it is going to elevate him, and he's somebody that I feel really bad for because he was so white-hot with live crowds when this happened. And, and you know, honestly, I, I said this to you the first week, one of the biggest questions I have moving forward is, who's going to be really over, you know what I mean, when we come back? Because no crowd has seen any guy in quite some time. And it's going to be really interesting to see what guys – are over and what guys are not because you're not going to, you're going to have months of programming without the crowds, you know, live crowds have so much power because if you get two or three big pops three weeks in a row, it just, you know, it just kind of keeps rolling. And it's just going to be really interesting to see how that plays out with, you know, no crowds for two, you know, maybe three months and all of a sudden they're thrown back in what guys they're they're really hot for. I know one guy that they were really hot for, Orange Cassidy had a match on this week's show. He faced Jimmy Havoc. He won with a surprise roll-up. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I was very disappointed in this match, like extremely disappointed. The wrestling was okay. That That's no problem. My issue is we talked about uh, glowingly after his match with Pac, at the last pay-per-view how, okay, this is the Orange Cassidy, who we all love. I mean, his gimmick is honestly gold. This is the Orange Cassidy that we need to be serious and to be a, you know, a true champion, you know, one day. He's got to have not just the silliness of the gimmick, 
but kind of a, a dark side, I guess you would, or serious side, and he had that in this match. This match was straight up, lazy, copy and paste, Orange Cassidy before the Pac match, and it's like, why have a match like the Pac match if that's not going to come into something like this? Because he should have got angry, serious, whatever you want to call it in this match and not needed to do his normal silly stuff and then win with a roll-up from a distraction. At least that's my opinion. What do you think? Oh, no, Adi. I completely co-signed, especially after that fantastic match. I, I don't want to sit here and mirror everything you said, but you, you were spot on. It was a very sloppy match. I, it was like cool-looking arms in the pocket. Like, what? The Christmas and I just didn't see it. So yeah, I, I was definitely a little disappointed. Um, you know, but just in the press forward with this, would have expected a better the match one, again, a lesser name. I agree. And the one thing I will give them is this appears like a feud that's going to continue to move forward, and maybe he's got to reach that point. And so if it's you know. And a bigger match between the two, you know, down the road, I might, you know, say, okay, maybe they knew what they were doing. Maybe they were building up to it. And it's, you know, it's almost like it's a, he has to reach a certain point to go to that level or that guy. And and that would kind of make sense with who, a, a character that's practically Joe Cool, you know what I mean? It would fit, but it just, it was really disappointing, especially because I'm such a huge Arn Cassidy fan. Out of all the guys that I've been introduced by AEW, he is by far my favorite from his T-shirt, the sunglasses, his talent in the ring. He, he's just, he's awesome. Uh, so they ended the show. We talked about how this was a TV title, uh, you know, AEW episode. They ended it with Dustin Rhodes beating Kip Sabian to advance to the Final Four for the TV tournament. Uh, he is going to face Archer, uh, Lance Archer, in the other semifinal. We talked about Cody Darby Allen. Do you think that there's a chance they're setting up a Rhodes-Rhodes final here? There's a small outside chance, especially considering uh, – of Cody uh, defeating Dustin. Same time with what angle they got with Jake Roberts going on, I think um, it would probably make more sense that where, you know, you can get Jake to really talk up a good promo. Cody can cut himself a really good and you can build it up uh, uh, for but I can't Overlook the possibility of a Rhodes on Rhodes. Yeah, I I didn't think about that. You're right. The the Lance Archer. I mean, that's probably where we're headed, uh, unless they want to say that and Darby gets the upset win over you know Cody, and then he's fed to Archer. Or I guess I could also see it where Cody wins, and then maybe, you know, Lance Archer just beats the living hell out of Dustin and gets disqualified or something where he looks strong but still, you know, doesn't advance in the tournament. Uh, but I am pretty interested to see where this goes. Uh, 
we're going to talk about NXT before we get out of here. Last week, uh, we weren't able to. I apologize about that. Again, moving forward, we're going to try to do a Raw SmackDown recap uh, with, you know, the news of wrestling on like a Tuesday, Wednesday, and then a NXT AEW with, again, the news and what's going on in wrestling on Friday, Saturday. So you will get, you know, us at least breaking down or giving you a recap to where you could, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of wrestling right now. I get it. It's hard to keep up with, and I, that's what we're trying to do is give a podcast where it kind of gives you a cliff notes of what's going on and obviously our opinions on it. Uh, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez picked up a tag team win over Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart. I thought this was a really good women's tag match, uh, and I, I do not mean this to sound sexist or anything else, but – it's been the one thing I've been pretty disappointed in in the ladies' division. Uh, I, I'm a, probably a bigger women's division fan than most. I think that you could argue five of the top eight people in WWE right now are women. Uh, and, I mean, it's not even close. Uh, but the tag team division has been kind of weak. And I mean that in the, the quality of the matches. They're just not very good. I don't know if WWE is not giving them enough time or they haven't figured out the best way to do it or what it is, but I just think there's a huge disparity in the singles and the tag quality. So I was excited about that, but I was also, I didn't realize this. I haven't followed NXT as closely as you do. I just found out that Dakota Kai had been a face the entire NXT run up until recently. I thought she was really good as a heel in this match do you think, though, it was the right move to make her a heel to, I guess, get her into a championship feud, or should they have let her be a face, which, from everything I've read, she's more comfortable and has been for a longer time? Um, seeing as that I had just started really watching the NXT Women's Division, I got to, you know, kind of get a little glimpse of her but before she went out on injury. So when she came back and hearing the excitement about her return, you know, find out about her and so on. So when she turned heel, she actually turned heel at the War Games uh, during Survivor Series weekend where she turned on her best friend Tegan Knox. Um, she actually uh, slammed her leg in the, uh, the cage that um, they stayed in until you got to be able to go to the ring. And so since they've done this heel turn with her, she's with changing her look, uh, her hair. Um, she's well, and now she's got some muscle um, with Miss Rodriguez. So uh, Dakota Kai's current run is uh, pretty darn good. I just, I, I can't see her as the one to up in Charlotte. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I will say, and this is sad, but this is true. And you can take this statement however you want to take it in a million different directions. Uh, women and men of color and different nationalities are not pushed in WWE unless they're a heel. I mean, if you look at it, there's very few exceptions. The New Day started as heels. Uh, you look at Carrie and Asuka, who have been pushed more since they both turned heel than they were as faces. Uh, it's just that, I mean, you look at somebody like Shinsuke, who, again, they immediately turned him heel after they kind of just squashed what he had going coming in. 
that's what WWE does. So, unfortunately for Dakota, this is probably the best chance for her to hopefully be a champion one day. Uh, the other interesting thing from NXT, and again, the NXT show is kind of weak this week. It, it it showed they got beat pretty bad by AEW uh, in the head-to-head. And if you look at the two cards, there's, I mean, it's it's not hard to figure out why. They had two good matches. AEW had, I think, five. Uh, but I will say the main event was when you go, man, there's still a lot of talent. Uh, in NXT because you had Keith Lee and Velvet Dream. They faced, uh, they tagged up against Roderick Strong and Adam Cole in the main event from the Undisputed Era. From the opening rip, the Undisputed Era played the numbers game. They jumped both of the guys. Uh, Fish and Priest actually came out of nowhere, hit Lee in the throat with a nightstick. Uh, I didn't particularly like how that attack made Keith Lee go to the back, and he didn't return. I understand. We'll get to in a second why they did it, but this is Keith Lee. This guy is, I think, probably the most valuable asset in your, you know, I guess minor leagues, if you want to call it, in NXT, and you have him basically be taken out by two midgets. Like, no offense to the Undisputed Era and a nightstick. I don't like that. But uh, eventually Dexter Loomis showed up. Uh, when Dream was doing as much as he could to keep in the match and basically a two-on-one handicap, got in the corner with Velveteen Dream. Eventually, Dream made the tag, uh, did a great facial expression work where he looked like, I guess, you know, who else am I going to tag here? Uh, And they ended up getting the win, and it was an upset win. A little surprising because Loomis has acted more heel uh, than he had as a face uh, in recent, you know, appearances on NXT, but obviously when you're with Velveteen Dream, who we know how over he is, and you're facing the Undisputed Era, which there doesn't get to be any more heelish group in NXT, even if, again, they're also over, uh, do you think this means Loomis is going to be a face tweener, or do you think this was just kind of a one-time deal to get some spotlight and attention on him? I'm just hoping it's something to get some spotlight and attention keep him as a heel. Actually, my first real exposure to him, and when he was doing that little creep hanging out uh, over yonder like a character uh, right. uh, earlier yeah. in the in the match, and it was like, so I, I'm, I'm into uh, what he's got going on. Obvious, blank-faced, psychopath killer. If he can stick with that, I, I can dig it. I just would prefer a character like that being healed. You you can't make a guy with no emotions. With well, I mean, you could say Devil's Advocate, the Undertaker, uh, started as a heel, and the crowd got really behind him, and he was emotionless. You know what I mean? Uh, Ray yeah. White made a little bit more sense because he talked, but I mean, the take was you know. Sort of, I know it was a different, you know, it was gimmicks uh, back in those days, but he didn't really give any reason other than just the gimmick, uh, and the fans kind of made him a face, and I do kind of wonder if maybe they've gotten some feedback, maybe from NXT crowds or, you know, social media, whatever, that this guy is over, and so, you know, rather than starting him as a heel and just having him be cheered, 
let's sort of maybe make him a tweener or just an outright face and hopefully keep him, though, as the character he is. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I, I was very impressed with, with his work. Um, he was very clean in the ring. Um, his character was great, and he moved well. So just something like a tweener, I'd be okay with. But, you know, I, there has to me, I feel like he would be better served if there's a little heelish in him or always at least the hint that, hey, you know, he's teaming with the Turn around and choke slam the dream, too. Right. So before we get out of here, there's one other thing I want to talk about with NXT. I have become such a big fan of Velveteen Dream. Uh, I had no idea up until about a year ago how young he was. So for him to already have the personality character that he does with his talent in the ring, he can talk, uh, he knows his character, his gimmick. Uh, he's just fantastic, and I have been really disappointed that they haven't called him up because I think that he is going to be one of those guys that gets over when he does. Like, I just believe he's that good to where eventually he will get over, and he's more of the kind of person WWE is going to make an effort to because he's not small. He doesn't have this big pass in the indies. You know, this is their own guy, you know, because he was so young when they signed him. Uh, that they're going to be able to take credit for them. And I know a lot of people say, well, NXT's fine. It's, it's good. And I would agree, but they haven't used him the way I feel like they should. I, I, don't, I can't ever figure out what they're doing with him down there. You know, people have been clamoring for him to win the world title. I think he's had one world title match, maybe two if you count. I think a multi-man match. He had a short run as a North American champ. That was really disappointing. I thought when he won that, honestly, he was going to have the kind of run Keith Lee has had uh, with the title. But do you think that with him, you know, obviously battling with the Undisputed Era right now, we know Adam Cole is the NXT champ. He's been the heavyweight champ in NXT for a long time. Is this setting up for Velveteen Dream to finally win the world title in NXT? I believe so. Um, I think that Velveteen Dream for now is going to have to be one of those guys because, like you said, uh, you need to be called up within the next uh, year, before, likely before this year is out. We do need a strong foundation. And, yeah, it, it kind of sucks that it's two faces, kind of, but like you said, Keith Lee is definitely going to be the backbone of one of them. And I think the Velveteen Dream's got to be one of the others that you got to seriously work around. You know, I know you got another a couple of heels, you know, been on the rise. William Dane, uh, Damian Priest. So I really think that this is setting up for the Dream to finally get his due. Yeah, because at this point, for them to have Adam Cole be the champ as long as he has. And, again, I know he's over, but he's a heel. I mean, everything he does is heel. They don't care about the reactions he gets. He is a heel at the heel stable. They wouldn't have kept the belt on him this long if they hadn't decided they're going to try to make a star or make it a huge moment, I should say, for the person that finally defeats him for that title because he's held it 
for so long. And in my opinion, if you look at NXT right now, there's three guys that qualify for it. It's Keith Lee, Velveteen Dream, and then the other is Finn Balor because I don't know what they're doing with him, but it wouldn't shock me if Balor ended up beating Cole. That would also make sense because it would still put Cole over that, you know, a guy that's been the world champ and, you know, the on Raw is the guy that finally beat him. So those are the only three guys, but I hope it's Velveteen Dream because I actually think he would be well-suited for a long NXT face title run before he moves up. And Keith Lee doesn't need to win the world title in NXT before he moves up. You can move Keith Lee up whenever you want. You can move him up right now. And as long as you don't screw up the booking, and I think even if they don't do a great job with the booking, he's going to get over because he is just a gigantic man that can move like a guy that size. I've never, maybe Bam Bam Bigelow would be the one comparison. And I think he's a lot bigger than Bam Bam Bigelow was. Uh, So, I think Velveteen needs this title, and I hope they give it to him. Yeah, I totally agree with. Although, and, uh, to add on to that, to add on to that real quickly, uh, considering yeah, what ahead. just happened, um, this, considering what just happened this past week, you already have a, a ready-made storyline for when the Dream dethrones Adam Cole because him and Finn got a little friction going on right now. So that'd be a great way introduce him to have him going against one of the most decorated stars. Or even, I mean, how about he wins that title in a triple threat match with those two guys? You think that wouldn't kind of put him over to, you know, beat Adam Cole and Finn Balor in a triple threat match for the title? I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that would grab headlines and get people looking because sadly, I think a lot of people who don't pay attention to NXT have no idea how, again, talented, young, and just this guy, he's just, he's got charisma. I mean, there's, I don't want to compare him to The Rock. That's not fair to Velveteen Dream, but it's it's sort of like that. You know what I mean? In the sense that he just, he just oozes when he's on camera that, like, this guy's important or this guy's cool or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I just hope that, that they put that rocket ship on him because he's great. So we know this podcast went a little long because uh, we did had to do Raw. I didn't want to miss any episodes, but we will be back early next week with a Raw and SmackDown. Then we'll do a second podcast later in the week with AEW NXT. Obviously, if there's any story in either one of them, uh, you know, in the world of wrestling, we will talk about them. If it's an AEW story, just because it's on the Raw and SmackDown, we're going to talk about it. But the shows themselves. We're going to try to keep to separate podcasts where we can keep these things under an hour. And then, again, kind of give people who maybe missed one of the shows or just want to hear some more about them, kind of get you know a little catch-up on it, Cliff Notes-type deal. Ronnell, before we get out of here, you got some stuff you want to plug? Yeah, absolutely. It would be 2020. Reach me on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we actually did our first backdoor cover podcast. We did a live NFL podcast uh, during the draft. I was in a really good mood for the first two hours uh, with my co-host, Alan, a.k.a. Actively Lazy. And then the Falcons went off the the revere and picked (laughs) A.J. Terrell, who was not in the top 40 or 50 of any draft boards I saw with the 16th pick. Uh, with a wide receiver that a lot of people wanted behind him. But anyway, it was good to get back with Alan. Uh, we still are kind of taking a hiatus. 
obviously once sports get back and we can gamble on those things, we will start that podcast up. Uh, I've heard some good rumblings about baseball getting started up particularly soon. They're starting to move to where basketball could start up hopefully by uh, early summer and try to do a mini tournament. And then obviously golf is going to start back up uh, here, I believe, the first week of June. Uh, but we'll have that podcast, the RC Report, uh, by the man RC Carton is also on this uh, podcast feed. And you check that out. Uh, and then obviously our wrestling podcast, Team Turnbuckle, which is going to be going to two times a week uh, moving forward. Uh, again, if you are not a member of the IB Sports Group on Facebook or following them on Twitter or Instagram, please do the content that RC uh, provides. He actually runs those accounts. is just phenomenal. Uh, and if you want to become an all-star member, uh, you can do that. Just please join the group and reach out to the message uh, to the group, and they can set you up with that. And, again, uh, we are on Spotify now. So whether it be on Apple or Spotify, please go uh, rate, review the Ivy Sports uh, podcast feed. And uh, we will be talking to you guys later in the week, or actually, I guess, excuse me, early in next week talking about Raw and SmackDown. But, Ron L., it's been a pleasure. And uh, I guess until uh, next time. Are you ready?